Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus on the emotional connection more than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to episode 91 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Aaron, and here with me to kick off 2018 is my co-host, best friend, and the biggest Hugh Jackman fan in the world, Patrick. Hey, everyone. But that's not all. To talk about this big-time musical production, we have called in that guy named John from the About to Review podcast, who has a history with theater that I'm hoping we can hear about later, and is a pretty great showman himself, if I do say so myself. John, thanks for coming back on, man. Uh, it is absolutely my pleasure to be back on the show. It has been a few months. It was back in September last time I was on, and that was a mini-sode. So I'm excited to kind of go full force into a, into a musical episode. We are, too. With both of you guys having such a huge love of music as part of your everyday lives, I think this is going to be a perfect pairing slash trio if we want to count me so <laughs> i was like there are going to be three people on this podcast there are i mean i like music but i'm just not quite at the level that you guys are so um in the interest of giving ourselves time though to talk through this movie we're going to skip our normal what we've been up to section for this week and just go ahead and get right into the greatest showman with that being said this is your spoiler warning we are a full spoiler podcast we're going to talk about this film in depth how it made us feel what we thought, detail, detail, detail. So if you haven't seen the film, do yourself a favor. Take your family, go see the movie. You won't be disappointed. You will have at least a decent, enjoyable time at the movies. We can pretty much guarantee that. If you don't, then we need to talk, and uh, we'll, we'll hook you up with some good psychiatrists. But uh, <laughs> with that out of the way, first up, let's just real briefly kind of get set with where we were at walking into the theater for this film. And John, we almost always are going to start with you, so just put that in your mind early on when I'm getting mm -hmm. that right, you're sure. going to be first up most times. But um, honestly, what, where were you walking into The Greatest Showman? Did you have an expectation for this? Were you looking forward to it? And then kind of how did you feel immediately walking out? Sure. So because I come from a musical background, I mean, I have spent most of my life on stage whether it is performing, whether it is in the wings doing photography for ballet companies and other nonprofit arts or arts organizations coming into any musical, my critic hat that we all like to try and wear and be unbiased and go into it as professional as possible. A lot of critics and a lot of what people will do is when they go into a movie, they start at zero. And then as the movie goes on, you know, it goes up from there. You know, so they're like, oh, I'm at 25%. I like this, 50%, whatever. With a musical, that critic hat might as well just be thrown away. I come into every musical at 100. And I, it is a bias of my own. And then as the movie progresses, it either goes down a little bit, it stays there. Be that as it may, I have a hard time going into any musical not being incredibly excited because I get to see music on the big screen. So that was my bias kind of going into The Greatest Showman is I was already hyped. Hugh Jackman is a song and dance man, the likes of which we rarely see these days. So that coming to Zac Efron, who is also incredibly talented with a huge cast. I was sold. 
Like I was just absolutely sold. Opening number reminded me of Liza Minnelli in Chicago, the lighting, everything about it. So I was just hooked, absolutely hooked. Coming out of the theater, I immediately went to go find the soundtrack. Like it just, it had me. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. I, I love it when you get to have that kind of reaction because mm-hmm. it, it's such a, it's so refreshing, especially for all of us because doing podcasts, we see so many films every yes. year. And so inevitably we see, we, we get let down a lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because we always want, we want every movie to be a five-star movie. It's not like we go into movies hoping they fail. And, you know, by the nature of law of, you know, averages, we're going to see a bunch of crappy movies. And so Absolutely. we get to have our expectations met. It's, it's wonderful. Patrick, I know you were high on this and our listeners uh, who've listened to us before will also know how high you are on this and how much you love Hugh Jackman. So were you able to have it? Were you unbiased going into this or were you closer to where John was? Absolutely not. I was just completely. (laughs) And, and I agree with John. You cannot be, you cannot be unbiased when it comes to any kind of film. I mean, you, as much as you want to be objective, you're going to have some preconceived notions, some biases towards the actors or towards the director because you because you don't watch movies in a vacuum. Every right. movie is informed by the one you've seen before it or by the day's events if you had a fight with your spouse or if you've just woken up from a long nap. I mean, you're, you're going to be informed by those things. And so I have no problem admitting that when I went into this, this was the most highly anticipated movie of the year for me. When I saw it on IMDb, when we were making our schedule, I mentioned this on the mini-sode. Back in June, we were setting out our second half schedule, and I saw this. Yeah. And I said, Hugh Jackman, Circus, <laughs> two things that I love and have a an incredible affection for. We've got to put this on the schedule, not even knowing what it was. And then seeing the first trailer and getting some of the meh reactions to it by folks on social media, I was a little skeptical and I wanted it to be good. So Mm -hmm. throughout our discussion tonight, I imagine that I'm going to be working through that because my personal bias may or may not be affected by it. But I walked into it wanting it to be amazing. I walked out of the theater solidified that it was amazing. When a movie makes me want to go back and watch it immediately, yep. I automatically put it at five <laughs> stars. Okay. Even, and, and so I have to sleep on it. I have to give it a couple of days. And just like you and most people that I've heard who've seen this, I immediately got the soundtrack, queued it up on Spotify. My wife, who is not as big on movies in general as I am, absolutely was floored by it. I mean, she had to sing on repeat nonstop. I said, I think I'm going to go see it again. She's like, I'll go with you. I mean, this is some, this is a woman who does not necessarily want to go to the theater a lot, Hmm. but this was a, this was the first time in a long time. And she, she admitted this to me that this was a movie that just affected her in a lot of ways. Now, was this before or after she saw Hugh Jackman? This is, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean, in in full disclosure, full honesty, there are going to be a certain percentage of people who are like, yeah, this music is great. Wait, he is in it? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll go again. Sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> Hers was more of an affection towards Zac Efron, if you're going to go that route. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, But she was really emotionally 
connected to this in a way that I don't think was, I think it was very surprising to her. She did not think it would connect with her like it did. And to me, that's a, that's a big deal. So not only to be able to share that experience with her, but then to do it again, we took my parents to it a couple of days ago. And and my, my dad especially was just like, Oh my gosh, this was incredible. And my dad, I mean, I'm a lot like him. Obviously I, I come from his, his, uh, his, his, his loins. And so I, I have those, uh, I said loins in the air. I don't know <laughs> but you know, I'm his offspring. So I have that kind of, it, it didn't surprise me that he had the, the same reaction I did, but yeah, I, I was completely and absolutely floored by how, how great it was. And I just, I wanted to tell the world it was Aaron. It was like my reaction, like your reaction to La La Land. And that you're just like, everybody's got to see this. Everybody's got to see this. And I, I told my wife, I said, I kind of want to go see it again. I might go see it tomorrow morning. Don't think I can. We're going to pick my son. He's, he's out of town right now, but th- that's kind of how I feel right now. I'm, I'm, I'm just really, really uh, overly joyed about it. Awesome. Well, I, I gotta say when I, okay, going, I'll go for mine. So when I was, when I was going into it, you brought it up. I, I remember very strongly how quickly you said this must be on the schedule. And I was like, eh, okay. I, for me, I've never actually been to the circus, which sounds like I might've missed my opportunity. I believe that it's a done thing. Uh, like it's over. Yeah. Yeah. And that, we can get into that a little bit later, right. but I, you, you did not miss anything. Well, that's what I, my kids went to one, uh, you know, Barnum and Bailey's uh, or mm-hmm. Ringley Brothers. Is it Ringley Brothers now? Ringley Brothers. Ringley Ringley Brothers, Brothers. Barnum and Bailey. They were all bit one big collaboration. Okay. Yeah. So they went to one of, several years ago here in Everett, Washington at the Comcast arena. Um, and that must've been near the last run of mm-hmm. the circus. So I never have been to one. So I didn't quite have that same excitement about that aspect of it, but Hugh Jackman and musical Les Mis is my favorite musical of all time. And well, Hugh Jackman has been in a musical of Les Mis, which we won't go to, we'll just, we're just going to put that aside <laughs> because we, we, I know there are differing opinions. So we're going to not talk about the musical movie, but the point is, <laughs> we knew that Hugh Jackman does well as that showman, John, that you were talking about. Like Absolutely. he is the epitome of that. I don't even know if we have another actor that we could compare to him perfectly at this point um, in his career. Mm-hmm. He does what he wants and what he loves, and he makes no bones about it. So you know going in that he is going to put passion into this project. And when I started reading about it and found out how much passion he had for this, that this was, this was like a pet thing for him. And he worked very hard to get this movie made. Well, that starts to really perk me up because when I, when I know an artist or any artists or directors, writers that are involved in something, I mean, they are doing it from their heart. It, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to get something that is probably special in some way. You know, it's going to be special to them and it just kind of makes it better for me. Well, that first trailer put me on a low. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't like it. Really? I, I did not. In fact, Patrick, I was really worried because I was yeah. I didn't want to cover it. I was like, I don't this is if this is a bomb, I'm gonna be very upset. Because like you guys, I love musicals. Patrick said La La Land. I mean, John, I didn't know you last year, but La La Land was my I mean, it, it just, it blew me. Oh, oh I, I'm well aware. Oh, well, uh, I know. I've mentioned I, we're it, but... friends on social media. <laughs> yes. And well, so I was... see the Funko Pops. I see it everything. Bad. It was bad. <laughs> it, it, it was, it took me over. Um, and so, you know, I was, I didn't want to be let down by the next one as much as I wanted the next one to be great. And so, anywho, 
we get into this situation and my son of all people shockingly is like, dad, I want to go see that. I want you to take me to the screening. And my kids are always battling for who gets to go, which was shocking. I didn't think he would want to be the one to go. I thought it would be my daughter who went with me and fell in love with La La Land. Well, we go, we come out. He loved it. I loved it. I just, I couldn't believe the spectacle. That was the word that kept coming to mind was spectacle. Like this is a show and it was the epitome of what it set out to make a movie about. And I just thought that was brilliant and I couldn't believe that it did it so well. And frankly, even comparing it to La La Land, musical wise, if we're talking about songs, this has more songs that I can listen to on repeat on a soundtrack. Right. Yes. And so, okay. I was worried I was going to have to fight you about that. No. Uh, no not. Because you know, I love music... it. I love La La Land soundtrack. Yeah. I used to dance around uh, to City of Stars in my office when no one was there early in the morning. But the thing is, there's only a couple of you know a couple songs, and and it's shorter. It's more condensed. Mm-hmm. This is a 45 minute start to finish on repeat. You know, and and the songs yep. are close enough, but varied enough. They're they're it, it's it's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And so I walked out with that feeling. I remember texting you you probably were listening to it when i texted you right away and i was like john look here it's on spotify um because i did the same thing as you guys i listened to it immediately and i did not stop i haven't got a second viewing in simply because i've just been so busy but i'm going to before it gets out of theaters that's for sure and i mean like you guys we go see a lot of movies and so for something to something to draw us to that theater experience more than once says so much Mm-hmm. That words don't even need to to explain. So sounds like we're all on the same page. We all had pretty high expectations for it, really wanted it to be great, and we all came out feeling very satisfied. Now, before we get into all the great yummy yummy, that's not the right word. Awesome, <laughs> awesome good stuff. You can say yummy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are. What's John going to say? Okay. Yeah, John, I'm, I'm, this is something really interesting. You have to make a really bad reference at some point. <laughs> I will see what I can do. So, I do want to speak about the one major criticism I have seen about this film, because it, frankly, it's the only criticism I've seen, and it seems to be so divisive that the folks who don't like the movie are slamming it because of this, versus those who do enjoy the movie are in love with it. It's a very kind of a wide divide. So it's this idea of the biopic. And, and Patrick and I talk about this all the time. We love this style of film. And we've had this conversation in different, different times. But in this one, the issue here at play is really about P.T. Barnum as a person. And the fact that maybe he wasn't, well, not maybe, from what we know in history, he was not a good person or as he was not the standout citizen <laughs> that uh, most <laughs> most of the greatest showman portrays him. Now, the film is not unbiased. The film does show us some aspects of him struggling and making poor choices, which I really appreciated. But P.T. Barnum is known to have leased a slave for these projects. Um, he also had a very famous display of a man, an African-American man. And it, it actually didn't have the man's name. It was just called, what is it? Um, and it, the, the sign on this is very well known. And it said a creature found in the wilds of Africa 
supposed to be a mixture of the wild native African and the orangutan, a kind of man monkey. Now, that's not the P.T. Barnum we just saw in a movie. So (laughs) I guess here's the question I have for you guys. Is there a responsibility when telling a story of a real life person to be honest about who they were? And is the issue here potentially that audiences could be deceived and believe that this is the actual Barnum? So what do you think about this? Uh, Who do you want to go to first? John. Okay. (laughs) If you have thoughts. Uh, So I, I really like biopics in general. This is not a biopic. This is not, this is a movie musical. If this were really a biopic, the biopics that are the most uh, powerful, to me at least, are the ones where at the end of the film, you see real footage, you see pictures, video, uh, you know, some, some, some type of story to really make you feel like, and remember, this was a real thing. A great example of that on a completely different note is I, Tanya, that came out this year. At the end of I, Tanya, it shows real interview clips that you saw the fictionalized versions of in the film. Darn near identical, by the way. And so, yeah, and so that is a biopic. This is a glorification of a man who made terrible choices, who was selfish, who was opportunistic, who was nihilist, who was he was not a good person. Uh, myself, as an animal rights advocate, he was a terrible person when it came to animal rights. Not just with, you know, elephants and lions and the horrible stories, but the example that, you know, I mentioned when it came to humans as well, he was not a good person. So they touch on it a little bit in the movie. I mean, the whole, this is me, you know, like that start that gets kicked off because he rejects these people that had been, you know, he had been their champion until he got what he wanted. And then once he got that, he was like, Nope, I'm done with you. So as a biopic, this fails miserably. I mean, this does not tell. I mean, this barely touches on any of the things that actually happened. So with me, I had to separate the art from the artist. And so with me, as a musical, this was fantastic. The subject matter of it, that being P.T. Barnum, was rough for me because they glorify this man who in a way should not be glorified, especially in the past couple of years when Barnum and Bailey's circus completely tanked after years and decades of controversy and so many problems, they finally just folded completely. So to have this movie come out a year later, you're like, but look how great of a man he used to be was just, it was kind of a, it was, it was just weird for me. So do you think uh, follow up to that is, do you think that, your enjoyment would have been elevated or would have been lessened if the man in the movie was not named P.T. Barnum and this was a fictional story of a person who grew up the way he did and did the things yeah. he accomplished. So that was something, and I talk about this on, on an upcoming episode of of mine when I talk about The Greatest Showman. You could take this film, this musical, rename a couple people, and have an amazing movie. It did not need to be about P.T. Barnum. If it were just if it were just called The Circus, and it had just all of those mentalities of, and yes, people would probably make the connection and be like, hmm, this is similar to the P.T. Barnum story. 
I would say 85% of the people watching the movie, if it was called The Circus with Hugh Jackman, it's like, have everybody in it, have the same music, have the same everything else. Nobody would care. If people did make connections to P.T. Barnum and they're like, you know, they really didn't go into his story. Who cares? Make make a solid movie musical and name it The Circus about The Circus. Go for it. So absolutely, this could have worked. And part of me feels like it should have maybe been somebody else. Fictionalize the names. They do it all the time. You know, if they say based on a based on true story or whatever, rename things. Come out with the same product. People are still going to love it. Yeah. Patrick, what about you? Do you agree or disagree? Well, I, d- I would definitely have had those thoughts of changing the names to protect the innocent, that kind of idea where you... <laughs> exactly. And, or and the guilty, have, guilty in this case. Well, <laughs> yes. And I've, I've, I've had those thoughts of... Uh, those those same exact lines of thinking where if you were to take the characters and fictionalize them and not connect them to historical people, would it elevate the story? Would it, would it make it then the, the case of Rudy is the inspiration that we get from Rudy elevated because it actually happened or because here was a guy who made it to Notre Dame as a walk on after wanting it of his whole life. That's a harder sell for me because more people play football and they need a real person to connect that story to PT Barnum. Isn't necessarily a guy that a lot of people need to connect to because not everybody wants to be a circus entertainer. However, when I walked out of the greatest showman, the thing that was interesting to me after thinking about it, and it, I mean, it stayed on my mind for two or three days was that this was never a story about the guy. This is a story about his ideals. And every song, mm. every instant elevated those ideals. Even if you look at the, at the tagline or the synopsis, it, it doesn't say based on the life. It doesn't say based on P.T. Barnum. It says based on the life of inspired by the imagination of P.T. Barnum. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree that it, it creates a flaw when you put an actual person's name on the screen because you are immediately connected to that and you want to know, Hey, what really happened? Mm -hmm. But if you're going to tell a story of a person's life, why waste it using the musical genre? I mean, musicals by default carry this sense of fantasy. So if you wanted to bring fact to your audience, you wouldn't do that with a musical. You reinforce it with drama. I mean, I wouldn't want to see the life of Martin Luther King portrayed in a musical. I want to see it, lived out in more of a dramatic fashion. It might be really interesting to see it in a musical. I was like, I would 100% see that musical. Well, <laughs> I know. I, like, I know what you mean. Hamilton's a great example. But who right, goes to exactly. Hamilton wanting to be educated about the president of the United States? Nobody does. Oh, not the president. Man. Hamilton. Well, Hamilton. sorry. Not, not, I mean, okay. <laughs> but who, wants, who, wants to, who goes to Hamilton to get a historical uh, seminar? Nobody right. does. It's, an, it's a secondary effect. It is. And it's, it's the issue that we run into when we watch biopics because by nature, movies are made for entertainment. But when you base it on a person's life, that, that, that uh, essential like kind of secondary thing that you get is, a, is an education. Like when I watch Jobs, you know, Steve Jobs, I'm obviously going, hey, did that really happen? Did that really happen? And I'm more inclined to... F- to find out more about the life of Steve jobs. But I look at a movie like this and it's, 
you mentioned it earlier, Aaron, the word spectacle comes to mind. And so everything about it was spectacular. There was nothing about it that felt very grounded. And so I never connected to a historical event because by, by default, I'm just being entertained. And there was a really fantastic quote that I read that said, it may not be historically accurate, but in many ways, it does what the real Barnum did in the 19th century, entertains. So the movie itself is almost mm. a personification of what Barnum wanted to do throughout his whole life. The repercussions of that were obviously, in a lot of ways, very negative. Mm -hmm. He left a lot of tragedy in his wake. But I never felt that in this movie. And I don't think that that Jackman and, and this whole creative team wanted me to feel that. I think they wanted me to feel the essence of what Barnum brought to, uh, to his audience, which was spectacle and entertainment. And as, as he says in the movie, a smile. And that's exactly what I got when I left the theater. That is exactly what I got as well. So I mm -hmm. did not have an uh, ultimately did not have a problem that derailed my entertainment from this. It is the one thing I told I told you this, Patrick. It's the one thing that kept me from giving this five stars. Like I couldn't I couldn't go all the way on my scale because it just didn't feel good to me for some reason. Uh, right. You know, I just I just couldn't. And and the thing is, I didn't know. I had no earthly idea who P.T. Barnum was. And so, like you just talked about, what I do after every biopic or every movie that I see about a real person, whether it's Marshall or Detroit, I go and I research those things. I try not to do it before the film because I like to see the film on its terms and then evaluate whether or not, after the fact, it actually was, you know, honest. And so I did that and I just, it kind of, you know, it kind of didn't sit well with me. Right. It kind of bugged me a little bit. And it, it wasn't enough to make me not want to listen to the songs or go or recommend the movie or go see the movie again, because I know I'll have an incredible experience. And so the distinction that I think you made, John and Patrick, you've definitely made multiple times. The difference of this is not a biopic. It's not intention intending to be a biopic. It's not trying to tell that story. It's trying to be a musical. It's trying to be a performance and it does that exceptionally well. So mm -hmm. that's where I ultimately landed on it. But I did, I did think that, you know, anybody who is going to talk about this film in detail, I feel like it's a responsibility we almost have to at least be honest ourselves about that and then let people judge for themselves. But I've, I, I'm hopeful that uh, those going to see this movie can separate somewhat um, and not walk out of this thinking that PT Barnum is someone that we need to have our kids want to grow up like um, right. at the same time, at the same time, promoting those ideals that Patrick was mentioning that he did, that he did promote or that he was, uh, um, you know, trying to bring to light. Mm -hmm. Well, that is one of the things, I mean, because of his, his real life, you know, persona, you had that phrase, like, you know, people running off to join the circus. I have friends who ran off and joined the circus. So like even locally, like Emerald city trapeze arts is a trapeze school that we have here in Seattle. <laughs> My friends run it. And so they, it is that same type of mentality where it's like people still have that idea of the circus. They still have that idea of that type of entertainment, but the person behind it is not important. So, yeah, I agree. So music, um, let's talk about music. This is a musical. <laughs> so it's kind of, kind of a big <laughs> yes, deal. It is. Uh, it is. What? <laughs> <laughs> so the thing that, the, the, 
musicals can go one of two ways and both i'm not going to compare these a lot but with la la land and the greatest showman both having the same writers uh, of mm-hmm. their songs there was going to be some i don't know some similar connective, connective tissue that's a great way to put it mm-hmm. however i don't necessarily feel that the songs are that comparable as far as you know i don't think that they would necessarily fit perfectly well on a soundtrack together i think that they're unique to their picture and this one has a very poppy feel to it and so i'm wondering how you guys feel about that do you think that this story is benefited by kind of that modern music or do you think more classical music and i don't mean classical in the sense of like orchestra strings right but more period specific for when this movie is taking place. Patrick, I know you had a thought on this. Yeah, I I I become familiar with with Pasek and Paul over the last year, uh, seeing that they were behind La La Land, being surprised that they were behind the I would say the first musical whose soundtrack I fell in love with having not actually seen the musical yet with Dear Evan Hansen just came out mm-hmm. this past year, got six Tonys. I'm really excited for the chance to see it when it uh when it eventually travels because I can't get to New York um, obviously to see it and watching this. And first of all, I love the modern music. So to answer that question, I absolutely love the modern music. There was a quote that, that Pasek said, uh, cause I'm, and I'm not going to quote everything tonight. I just, these are, these are important. Things. <laughs> right. I'm not going to be the quote machine, <laughs> but he said the choice was to express not just the character's feelings, but also how ahead of his time PT Barnum was. He wasn't bound by the world in which he lived he wanted to create one as the first number, not the uh, greatest show, but the one after that, one of the lines is we can live in a world that we design. And I think that that song mm-hmm. and the overall tone of the movie enhanced by the poppy music was really reinforcing that idea. What's interesting is that La La Land is a modern movie, a movie that takes place in current, you know, in, in modern day, but it calls back to classical mu- music, like uh, singing in the rain and things like that. And I thought it was so cool to see this almost equal opposite thing happen, where you had a period piece that used modern sounding music, you know, a lot of drums and lots of just hard hitting beats. And I think that's a testament to these guys who write <laughs> to Pasek and Paul. I prefer the modern style. Dear Evan Hansen is more akin to that, although it feels more like just a modern musical uh, set in modern day. And I'm excited about seeing it and to see what it looks like on the stage. But I think that it enhanced the, the, the overall story that was being told personally. John, what about you? So <laughs> that was very passionate patch. Um, <laughs> I, unfortunately, this is one of, if not my only, issue with the film i mean my issue kind of like i talked about before is of the man himself and what he really did but as far as the music that top 40 feel it i mean it got a little bit old in the sense where a lot of the songs and again you can put on the soundtrack it is 45 minutes a lot of it kind of bleeds together and yes they do i mean it is a musical so they do a lot of reprise you know there are three different songs on the soundtrack that have a one minute reprise as well. Uh, so that get that kind of top 40 feel for me being, you know, kind of classically trained, you know, in, in musical theater and everything that was a little bit of a disconnect for me. I wanted more of the, 
we keep saying tr- classical, but instead we should use traditional, you know, movie musical stylings. Okay. Right. So yeah. for me, I would have wanted a little bit more of that. Um, but the music itself, it was solid. It was really good. If some of the numbers had not been as good, it would then it might have gone into the area of taking away from the film. It did not do that. I just did not, you know, like as much of the music being as modern as it was. But I still mm-hmm. enjoyed it as it was going on. So it did not deter from the movie, but a little bit more variety, I think, would have really helped it, in my opinion. That's not too bad. I, you know, I, I think that's fair. Um, I, I was expecting more traditional music. Mm-hmm. And so I think I would have enjoyed having a song or two that felt that way as well. Obviously, I loved um, the La La Land music, you know, affected me very deeply. And so I, I probably fall closer to you, John, um, in that it does, I don't listen to pop music. I'll put it that way. So I don't listen to this music normally at all. Mm -hmm. And so when I do, this is my fill of it. (laughs) You know, like this is, this is going to be my version of listening to the top 40. It's just not what I listen to. And so um, it works well for me in that regard. And I, and I do like that I can sing it all the way through, but when you do listen to it all the way through, which is very easy to do, it does bleed together. Yep. And I think that's what you're getting at is some of those songs, they, they really, other than maybe the other side, which is pretty distinct in its beats, at least mm-hmm. like it, they really can start to just kind of repeat themselves. Um, it it feel, feels that way. It, it's not, obviously the music is not the same. Uh, and they are different, different notes being hit in different, um, different collection of them, but it can start to feel that way. Patrick? Right. You guys, I mean, you guys make a solid point. And in fact, my wife, we were list one of the 52 times that I think we've heard the soundtrack in the last week. <laughs> uh, we ran across the, the number with, um, with Zach Efron and, and Zendaya. And, and it's a, it's a beautifully written song. And mm-hmm. for me, what enhances those songs is the choreography behind them. Like I love picturing what, is happening during these moments. And I think that that's where, that's where I enjoy the music the most is, is seeing the choreography connected to it. But she mentioned that listening to that particular song, she said, this could be on top 40. And I'm like, yeah, you're absolutely right. It could exist on its own as a pop song. And, and I, for one am, um, it's, it's a genre that, that I listen to, not regularly necessarily, but it's not one that I get overly tired of unless it's just a repeating of, of a chorus over and over again. And what I enjoyed the most about the the music in its, in its, on its own was the energy of each number, even the ones that, even the numbers that were slower, because what I think musicals do, what they have the power to do is vocally, particularly with Jackman's vocals, you can hear the emotion when, mm-hmm. when, particularly during the reprise of um, the the first number, uh, "A Million Dreams," as as his daughters finish up, you could you could hear him just sort of this have this exasperated "A Million Dreams," and you could you could feel his man. Mm-hmm. I want that, and I think musicals give their actors the power to evoke that sense of emotion, and I think that existed in a lot of the numbers. And for me, that's why it worked so well is the emotion behind them. It didn't just feel like a pop song. It felt like 
actors really giving everything they've got to the parts that they were playing in those moments. Well, and that was something that, and yeah, I mean, I totally agree with what you're saying with the song that I think is going to become the biggest song from the soundtrack, which is this is me. I mean, that is unfortunately the amazing performance that Kiala Settle gives is not going to be the one that becomes popular. Right. Because they're going to do a version, I think with, was it Kesha? Not Kesha, Kesha. did one. No, yeah, Kesha it, did. Uh, yeah. Oh. Or is it Taylor? Was it Taylor Swift? Or, no, it was, oh, it, was, it, was Kesha. It, was, it was Kesha, I think. I mean, I love Taylor Swift, but I don't want her touching this. Right. Yeah. So, so a top 40 person already kind of did a version. And that is unfortunate because one of the things oh, that my. is tremendous, if you go on Hugh Jackman's uh, Instagram, which is, I think, just the real Hugh Jackman, he posted a video of Kella's audition. You talk about emotion. Oh my it is gosh. something where she starts crying. He starts crying. The choir starts crying. The casting director starts crying. Like, and every, and this is her audition yeah. for this. And so he put that on her page. If you go on her page, uh, which I think is just at Kella Settle, you know, she has that and another kind of behind the scenes featurette with her when she talks about, she was like, I didn't think I was going to get this. Which is crazy. She is a Tony nominated performer. So like she has the the resume, the pedigree for this. And you watch that passion and that emotion come through in her performance, both in the movie and then especially in her audition. Even though it is kind of top 40-ish, when you watch those behind the scenes things and you go look at the performances and the choreography, that is when it becomes real. Uh-huh. So that that is yeah that was just a tremendous part that I'm really glad that you know he posted and that she posted as well to let us know just how much went into that. Uh-huh. That's awesome. I watched it today and I I totally agree. I mean it it definitely had me affected and she is phenomenal. She's mm-hmm. stunning in this and if we'll probably talk about her a little bit more when we get to characters and how I felt about her overall inclusion in the film. Um, but I love that number on the other side of that though. See what I did there is. Yeah. There you, you go. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and so, so wow. this is my favorite. I know, right. That was, it was a little layup, but that number blew me away in the movie. Like I was so engaged at that moment. I, that is, that's probably the, the couple of minutes that I smile the biggest that I, I had, that's when the permagrin attached itself to my face and did not ever leave. But I, I mean, I like Zach Efron. He's fine. You know, I've seen him in some stuff, seen him in some stuff where he's not, where I don't like the movies. Um, and I've seen him in some stuff where I thought he was good. But I was worried about him being in this, that he couldn't play or couldn't pull off this more dramatic turn that I was expecting him to need hmm. to do. And so I was so pleasantly surprised right away, honestly, with his acting when he was introduced. But this number was just everything I want out of a musical. Like it was the iconic piece that I walk away telling everybody that you need to see this. I, I, I've said on Instagram or not Instagram. See, now you got me saying Instagram all the time, John, because that's your <laughs> primary. Um, I, I said on social media all the time how I would watch an entire movie of just Hugh Jackman and Zac Efron, like dancing dialogue to each mm-hmm. other, dancing while talking dialogue or singing dialogue to each other. It was, it was so 
such a perfect piece of chemistry that I, I mean, I don't know. You just, you can't fake it. You can't make it happen. It just, it's natural and it happened. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful that we got to experience that because it was by far my favorite musical moment in this film. And I, did you guys have one or how did you feel about the other side? Well, the other side for me was probably my favorite choreographed number. And the second time I saw it, I really paid attention to the bartender because mm-hmm. I think those three, obviously Jackman and Efron are the two main components, but you're talking about some amazing um, rhythmic like syncopation with this bartender who's just back and forth with these guys, you know, passing drinks and doing these things like that. So the overall choreography of that number with those three was just fantastic. Um, my favorite number, I think, would have to be, it's probably from now on. And I think the energy level from that is is probably what did it for me. It Coincidentally, it was not my favorite as it started, like I was like, this sounds like it's going to kind of be boring. <laughs> and then as he moves towards the wall and he starts looking at essentially his past and then he zones in on his, on his, uh, on his family, the, the crescendo of that is, uh, is just a fantastic moment. And I think it's just got, again, I'm going to go back to saying energy, which I think this whole movie epitomizes. And, and that, that song in particular was probably the one that I latched onto the most. John, what about you? Uh, with me, I mean, there were there were so many moments, like I said, where it just it punched me in the feels. The thing with movie musicals, and even when I go to some local productions of of musicals, just it 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 is hard for me sometimes to sit there and watch it, only because that desire to perform, that desire to be back on the stage, is heartbreaking. In the sense where it just, it was such a big part of my life that I've not really done in so many years, in a few years. So because of that, things like, you know, the other side, like you guys both mentioned, those types of performances that remind me of the classic old school traditional musicals, the Gene Kelly era, the Danny Kaye era, Fred Astaire, Donald O'Connor, who Donald O'Connor, quick tangent, Never gets the respects he the respect he deserves. Uh, for those people wondering, if you have watched Singing in the Rain, he is the funny one. Unfortunately, in Singing in the Rain, he is against Gene Kelly. <laughs> and so, you, you if you go back and watch some of Donald O'Connor's films, his physical comedy, his physical styling, his voice, everything he did was so absolutely incredible. So, something like The Other Side had all of that. If you you can pull it up on YouTube, you know, make him laugh from Singing in the Rain, and you watch Donald O'Connor jump on a piano, do a backflip, all of these things, and the camera is 20 feet away from him. You right. see everything. One of my other kind of, and I, I will not say issues with The Greatest Showman, is that it was shot more like a music video and not a movie musical. So those cutaways that happened, in especially in a scene like, you know, the other side, I wanted that camera 20 feet back and just to let the scene happen. So you can see everything. You can watch the bartender slide the shot glasses back and forth and that whole scene play out. So as incredible as it was, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, and it probably was my favorite musical number in the back of my head, I was like, okay, if I were choreographing this or if I were filming this, 
what are those little things that I would do differently? And the main thing is just drop that camera back, you know, really let the action and the actors, you know, put, put on a display that does not have those quick cutaways that is very typical for a music video and not traditional movie musical. Right. I think that's the, that's the slight tragedy of having something on a screen as opposed to on the stage, because when you're in the audience of a stage production, you control where you look Mm -hmm. and you get the whole option to see the whole stage. Whereas watching something on screen, you're really at the discretion of the cinematographer, the editor, all these different pieces and credit the editors and everybody involved in the technical side of putting that and all the numbers together. For sure. Um, I want to, I would just want to give a quick call out to the, to the, to the, I guess the effects department or whoever it is who was saying the, the transition pieces, uh, particularly when, when his daughter got the ballet shoes and she's doing the um, twirling and then it transitions into her ballet class or her performance i thought and there were several of those from the very beginning all the way through and i thought those were fantastic transitions they kept the story moving Mm -hmm. visually i thought that was really great for sure i agree and the other the other piece before we move away from music is that that never enough for me um rebecca ferguson this song slayed me as well you know it was in a different (laughs) way so i I kind of have to evaluate it a little differently than I do the other side because the other side is what I think of more when I'm excited to go to a musical. But this song, and I I don't know if it was, was it a reprise the second time she sings it? But the second time she sings it uh, Mm -hmm. when it's with tears in her eyes was incredible to me. Um, And it was just, it is, it is an, it is a moving ballad is so it's just a powerful song and it's poppy. It's got that pop feel to it, but it is, it is boom. I mean, it hits you like a weight and you can feel the emotion pouring off of her. Um, and that feeling that she has at the time, the character of, you know, not feeling like she's ever going to be enough. And it just, it came out perfectly for me. Um, so I really enjoyed that one as well. Probably my second favorite, I would say. Um, okay. But moving on off a of musical. So, Let's talk a bit about themes. Themes included in this, you know, being yourself, big theme of inclusion when we're talking about, um, as Patrick has called them, the out, quote, cast, unquote. Um, Mm -hmm. Very well done, by the way. uh, Thank you. Family, friendship. One of the things that really stuck out to me family-wise is charity as, as a wife. Mm-hmm. You just don't see this in films in modern day films anymore where people work through their problems. It's, it is, it doesn't happen anymore. Right. Um, and so I really enjoy seeing that on screen, uh, a supportive wife who is willing to sacrifice some of herself because she hurt. What makes her happy is to see her husband succeed. Um, all of us have family members who in some way, do this same very thing. They sacrifice some of their time with us so that we can watch as many movies as we do, so that we can get on a microphone and talk to each other about these films and and go in depth with them. And so I got to see some of that in The Showman, and I really liked that family dynamic. But what other themes kind of stuck out to you guys the most? Did anything really connect with you in that area, John, Patrick, whoever? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, those... Like you said, the feeling of being on the outside and having somebody, in this case, again, you, in their opinion, and not at their opinion, in their 
life. It was the first time that they had a benevolent person being like, no matter what you are, as far as shape, color, size, ability, whatever, you have a home, you have a place. Did that go as, you know, as well as planned? No, because they got a door slammed in their face, both metaphysically and literally. (laughs) And so, but having that feeling of somebody being there for you, you know, through all of it, you know, how you related to, you know, Charity's character and, and everything. So that was really important. And it was good to see that even in the face of all of this, communication, you know, being able to talk through things, being able to like, okay, this hurt me and this is why, how do we move past it? What mm-hmm. is that connecting thing that is going to bring us together and make us stronger moving forward? Right. So that was a really big theme that that I appreciated in this film, for sure. Yeah, I resonated a lot with the idea of common ground, and the community of obviously is is connected with that. But the the moments leading up to from now on, the seeing the whole cast come into the bar and hearing, um, is it is it is it Kila Kayla? How how do you pronounce her first name? I think it is. Well, it is spelled K-E-A-L-A. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure if, if, if it is that. Kayla, uh, in the interview segment that I saw with her, it was just, it was an Instagram one, so it was really short. So I did not hear somebody introduce her. <laughs> so I'm not sure. Well, in any case, she makes, a, she says a line, she goes, you gave us a family. And then mm-hmm. I believe it was, um, it was Anne's brother that said, and we have a, our home is the circus and, and we want it back. And of course that kicked off the, the number, but, but you have this, um, this idea of, of real community and wanting to be, it's not just that you're, you're, you're connected, not by your deformities or your differences, but you're connected by a sense of common, common ground. So the moment that she talks about the fact that Barnum gave them a family and Anne's brother reinforcing that by saying the circus is our home and we want it back those types of moments I think really resonate with me because I love the idea of common ground and that it wasn't defined by a particular oddity as as it was called in the film, but it was defined more by, well, I mean, just the obvious theme of who you are is okay. It's you're not a mistake. And when I see that theme resonate through any kind of film, I was, I, I like that as long as it's not heavy handed. And that was one of my, hesitations about this movie was is this going to be a heavy-handed preachy i don't know how you would describe it um ideal that's just going to get just pushed on us and i don't feel like it got that way i felt like it was just enough to get me thinking and that may be a criticism of it i think i've seen some of that criticism that it takes heavy ideas and it makes a lighthearted kind of washed over approach to them. And I'm like, "Mm, again, musical, not meant to be anything really heavy. So you Mm kind of have to walk that line. You have to walk that tightrope, if you will. And you have this, it's a tough thing to do. And And also tightrope. Well done. Yeah. Okay. Self high five for me. I'm just going (laughs) to give myself that. But I, I don't think it was very heavy handed at all. I think it was balanced. And I think it was done in a way that I wasn't sitting with those themes uh, for days and weeks, you know, days after that, 
but I don't think I was meant to either. I was meant to pop in a soundtrack and really just enjoy the music. And those things came after the fact. So I think it was a nice plus one for me to have that ideal. And I think it reinforced a little bit of positivity, which I think a lot of people come away from the movie feeling like, man, that really felt good to experience that. Because, I mean, this is not going to be a contender for best picture. It may get a nomination, but we know it's not going to win. It it is not going to get a nomination. (laughs) And, and, and that's fine. I don't expect it to, but what I appreciate is that it doesn't have to be brooding and self important to necessarily feel like it needs to be a good movie. Not Mm -hmm. that all movies do that or all movies that get nominated for Oscars do that, but we know that most movies that get picked for the Oscars or nominated, they're going to be movies that have some level of social importance, some level of, of seriousness to them. And, and I'm fine with that, but I also want to make sure that we go to movies to enjoy them and that this is okay too. It's, it's really okay to walk away with a smile and that mm-hmm. doesn't, it doesn't negate a movie's value because you didn't walk away thinking about something really important. Yep. I'm with you. And I, I had the same fear was that it was going to be too preachy. Um, and yet I didn't think it was, if anything, I almost think it did, wasn't enough, pretty preachy enough, honestly. Interesting. So, I mean, when it comes to the inclusivity piece and the way that, uh, the outcasts are treated, um, I thought could have been, I, I, I guess this kind of ties into the characters. I feel like I wanted more of them. I wanted more screen time. I wanted more backstory. I wanted more about who they were instead of preaching to us about inclusivity or telling us about inclusivity just for the sake of this person looks different. We got a very quick montage or or explanation of each character introduction, as you will, um, as each one was being, you know, found by Barnum. Mm -hmm. That's really all we got. I mean, we just didn't get much more than that. Like, I want to know, I want to know more about them. You know, I want to know where they came from. I want to know what their stories are and their desires and their, their dreams and what they can do. And I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't quite get the warm fuzzy enough about that, that I wanted. And I, I feel like the film definitely had some edits to it, that it was longer. It was noticeable to me that things had been cut out. Um, And I did read that, after the fact that there was quite a bit of cutting it down uh, to make it under two hours. And so I wonder what that would have been like. And I I kind of, I I understand both sides, right? Like it's tight the way it goes, but it covers a lot of ground. And because it gave me characters that I was interested in and that really fascinated me, I wanted to know more about them and then I didn't get to. So um, so I'm kind of on the fence on that. Uh, I really like, Barnum and I almost said Barnum and Bailey. His name's not Bailey. That was really confusing, nope. by the way, people, is to throw Philip Carlyle in this movie as a fake person. I just don't understand. Yeah. I don't understand this at all when you have a character, unless maybe there's an issue with rights of using Bailey or something. Who knows? They're, they're, very, they're very well. Yeah, they're very yeah. well could be. Whenever you do these biopics, it, it gets a little bit muddy, uh, especially if it is a biopic based off of a book. Then not only do you have the real family and the estate and everything. But then you also have to clear it with the author who did this and that. So it gets a little bit tricky. So it was interesting that they made him a Carlisle because anybody who knows kind of American history, I mean, the Carlisle family is incredibly 
well-known and affluent up there with Rockefeller and everything like that. But yeah, the, the way that they kind of made up a character with that was interesting. Well, and I think when it look when you, I have, I have two theories or mm-hmm. two, two opinions. One, I don't know that you could sell Bailey on his relationship with Anne. Okay. I don't think that fair enough because you, you get into the whole biopic issue of like, what did Bailey have an, a relationship with one of the, Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. And two, you mentioned Carlisle, a very famous name connected with an, an ideal, a snobbish class an upper class. Yeah. So when I think of Carlisle, I think of Carlisle in the same way that I think of where your issue is, Aaron, that we don't get enough about these characters. I think that was intentional because I think these characters are symbolic of the bigger idea that's being portrayed. Now there were standout performances. Obviously you have the bearded lady for sure. You have, you have Anne, but I don't think that the movie was intentionally tr- was going to be intentional in giving us backstory on any of these guys. If, if they were, I think that would have been a detriment to the musical as a whole, because we would have gotten a tease of more information where we would have been distracted by that and we would have been, been yeah. like, oh, wait, there's a song here. Okay, well, let's get away from the song. I want to hear more about the the dog boy or about the world's tallest man or, totally about, agree. or about Tom Thumb. And what I like about this is that I can read about those actual people in mm-hmm. history books and find out more about them. But I didn't get so much information that I was going to contradict history with, with fiction. So it wasn't distracting to me. And so I thought that that was actually a good move on the part of the filmmakers to keep that history lesson down, to keep it to a minimum and keep this more of a parable, more of an analogy, more of a, a symbol of what was actually being talked, uh, shown here. Good points. Very good points. Um, so characters, last thing, really last big topic characters, um, rather than just go through this list, cause I'm pr- pretty sure we could probably find things to say about all of them. Uh, they were, I really enjoyed the cast. I had no real weak spots for me. I thought that they all did a very, very wonderful job. Um, but did anything stick out to you as far as the characters go that we haven't hit on? I'll say for me, the relationship between Barnum and Carlisle that I was touching on ended up being a huge positive. It was not a relationship that I kind of expected. The trailers gave me the Zendaya and Zac Efron Mm-hmm. romance hint so i knew that was coming and i loved the way that that played out Fr- frankly zach efron if anything is what stood out to me in this movie so everything that he was involved in his two main relationships and his arc of where he started to where he ended up and the, and especially the look on his face when um barnum gives him the cane and the hat and says you know it's yours mm-hmm. like in in the way that he just takes it and owns it like like I loved him in this movie. I, so I am glad that he was created and put in here because I found him very, very entertaining. Anybody do that for you guys? I mean, I would, Zach Efron is definitely up there for me, but going into this, I know that he had, you know, he has the experience. He has done, he did what? Three high school musicals, you know, so he, he had I actually really like those movies, uh, especially the do. first one, the first one. <laughs> Ashley Tisdale, man. I, oof, boy, younger me. I, I have no idea what, okay. I've not seen any of them, which is one of the ridiculous things because everybody is like, but John, you were a high school musical. Yeah, I get it. You but, were. Yeah. Number one is not bad. I'm telling you, it's worth watching. Right. You know what? And I'll just say this. Three is a great finish to the series. 
I'm just saying really? two, two was not great. Three brought back what one had and it finished it off really, really nicely. Okay. So, so with that there. Yeah. So with me like Zach Efron, like, you know, a lot of the trailers, you know, focused on that relationship with Zendaya, but I at least kind of had faith in, in him. What really surprised me was seeing somebody. And again, I will find out if I'm totally mispronouncing her name incorrectly, but Kiala, Kayla, how about K settle? Uh, we'll just go with that. Uh, finding her because again, she has been nominated for Tony. I, I can't remember if she actually won a Tony, but with that, so she is known on the Broadway scene, on the stage, having a breakout role like this, 2018, I definitely think she is going to get a lot more busy and a lot more people are going to get to know who she is, her amazing work that she does. So that was a character that, cause she is the focal point of the outcasts of the others. She is the one that they rally behind. She is the first one, you know, that he kind of finds. So she was the big takeaway for me. Like I cannot wait to see more of her. I love both of those picks. And of course, Jackman's going to be my number one, just by of the course, so I'm just going to put him <laughs> hashtag man crush hashtag man crush. Uh, but Michelle Williams as charity Barnum really stood out to me in terms of what you mentioned earlier, the fact that she was so supportive and she's strong. She, she's not a, a yes man to her husband. The thing that created tension was the fact that when, when he, uh, when 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 the when the building burned down and he comes back and she he finds out that the bank is basically taking their home, she said, "I don't." She basically said, "I don't mind the choice you made. I just wanted to be a part of that choice." Yep. You know, she wanted to be a part of that. It's always been we with them. And just as a side note, I'm glad to see Michelle Williams smiling for once because the last time I saw her was in Manchester, and it was just Oof. really really nice to see. Ah, better. But well, and same with she is also in all the money in the world right now in a very dramatic role. So, okay. so this is this is so nice. I was gonna ask you about that. So I'm glad you mentioned that. And I sorry, Patrick, I'm gonna derail you just for one quick second, but about Michelle Williams. So I grew up an enormous Dawson's Creek fan. Okay, I've watched the series multiple times all the way through. Hey, look, this is my surprise face. <laughs> for those of you not what for those of you not watching at home um, i just fell asleep <laughs> katie holmes was you know a huge crush early on joshua jackson was one of my favorite young actors to watch for many years but the thing that i never expected was that michelle williams was going to be the one that broke out of this whole cast and had yeah. the best career let me tell you this woman is a superstar and people don't necessarily think of her that way but when you look at her work in manchester by the sea her work in blue valentine her work in this, she has range and is just an incredibly powerful, amazing, amazing actress. Brokeback Mountain is another one. Um, and I, I love her to death. And I think that sh she is in that tier for me now where when I see her name on a movie, my interest level immediately rises. Hmm. And I say okay. I want to see that because of her. So she has she has gotten to that place for me now, and I, I just love that. And so part of that was what you were saying, Patrick, that we got to see her happy for once because she's so good at dramatic and sad and awful and, and giving <laughs> us that experiential, you know, connection mm -hmm. that I love being able to root for her in a different way. 
Right. And there were two moments that stood out to me. One was when he, when, when Barnum comes home after being sacked and he goes up on the roof and you see her playing with the kids and she's doing the, doing the, the cowboy shootout and she actually like dives, like she's about to get shot. I thought that's just a, what a great, uh, what a great way to just personify what a, a, an involved parent should, should be. And I loved seeing her in that. And the other one was during her, her solo at the very end, you see her dancing with, with PT Barnum and she's spinning and they're in, in, in the house. And then all of a sudden he just fades away and she's just dancing by herself. I thought, again, what a great visual to see, but it definitely articulated kind of what she was feeling in that moment, how she's like, gosh, I know you want this and I want this for you, but you're, you're losing something. You're losing a bit of yourself through this. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that she wants to support him and she will support him no matter what. But there's also this dichotomy of being almost feeling sorry for him. And it's done through her, her, her nonverbal stuff and her singing as well. And I just think that's, an, that's a testament to who she is as an actress. I didn't know that she could sing. So to hear her uh, sing was just, uh, just a plus one for me. Awesome. Anybody else we missed before we move on to the connecting point? Uh, I mean, Zendaya was, was good. She is another one that, I mean, she is a Disney kid. So mm-hmm. you know that she can sing, dance, act, because you have to be when you are, you know, when you grow up in that system. <laughs> so she was good. I really think that, especially after Spider-Man Homecoming and now this, like she, her star is going to be rising. And I think she was going to start getting more, varied roles and more dramatic roles because and more screen like time. and more screen time you can only be a disney kid yeah. for so long <laughs> yeah I, I liked her a lot i thought i thought again with her and efron i just the relationship was i don't know it was so innocent and so realistic to today's world still in some ways what people find and what people have to deal with with their family yeah. members, right? And I mean, I I don't experience. I've never experienced this firsthand, but I have friends who have <laughs> very yeah. closely experienced this and and had to deal with that. And, and it's just, it's it's one of the hardest things to do is watch someone go through that, right? Because you don't want to, you never you want to be close to that person's family. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's what that's the way it's supposed to be. And so, those scenes in this that with both of them with his parents not approving. And how they both react to that and, and, and everything. I just, I thought that, I thought she did a fantastic job as well. So when he, when he drops her hand, I wanted to punch him in the face. I, I was so mad. <laughs> oh, that scene. I did too. I, I, I was like, I took a breath. Like I was like, no, well, you're not doing this. And it, like, good for her too. You know, like as an example of a character, like good for her for saying, no, I'm not going to accept that and mm-hmm. walking away. Mm-hmm. I, I really appreciated that as well. Okay. Well, gentlemen, uh, last thing we do is our connecting points. So that's that kind of one scene that wraps it up the best for us, the moment that we got the most emotional or were the most joyful, excited, sad, um, cried the hardest, whatever the case may be. (laughs) Uh, John, we always like to have the guest go first. So if you don't mind, what did you, uh, what was that moment for you? Uh, I do mind horribly, so no, one of you guys go first. Just kidding. That's a good point, asking you, I guess, uh, <laughs> except that you could answer that way. Right. Uh, so the thing for me, 
And we kind of talked about this off mic, and I now I am forgetting which one I said I would talk about. But I will just talk about uh, the one that I said I would. So in the beginning, we get this montage of of young Phineas, you know, young P.T. Barnum and young Charity, you know, as he is going through kind of his childhood that we get in about five minutes. And we see him, you know, getting kind of pushed away from the upper class. And we see his struggle of growing up on the streets and running around with charity, going into abandoned houses, creating adventure, looking at shadows, looking at clouds, like just being a kid while living in Swaller, like just living in the streets. And so there's a scene where he's singing and he looks at the shop window of this amazing suit and top hat. And you see this and the camera just kind of fades away and fades in and out like that scene to me growing up, it was just that was something that I dealt with all the time. You know, being the kid who did not have much. I have a big family. There are a lot of mouths to feed. And so it was just and you had to create, you know, I was not the kid who had a gaming system. I was not the kid who had cable TV or a VCR for a lot of time. So you had to create, you had to make your own adventures and dream and really think about, okay, what else can we do? Where else do we want to go? What else can we do with what we have? And my parents, who I love so dearly, they never, they had this amazing ability to not let us know how absolutely broke we were. So that was incredible. <laughs> you know, it's like some of the memories I have and some of the adventures we would go on and looking back on it, it was like they were able to create that out of what they had. So watching that on the screen, watching him kind of go through that was just tremendous to me. And that was right in the beginning. And like I said, it started at a hundred for me. Yeah. And it, it just, oh yeah, it, it rode that for a long time. It was absolutely incredible. I loved that montage. So That's good. amazing. I, I think we all love that. Um, I mean, we all pretty much are, are so high on the movie that we could say that about most everything, but <laughs> right. um, I, I would agree. And I'm actually going to, I was going to let you go next, Patrick, but I'm going to, I'm going to go next because mine sort of ties into that same idea. Um, although maybe all of ours do, but for <laughs> me, you know, after Barnum, it's the moment where after Barnum has lost his job and he goes home and Patrick, you just talked about this on that rooftop with Michelle Williams and with his wife, Charity, and she's playing with the kids and she's, she's acting things out, which ties into what you were saying, John. Um, and he's, you know, he's depressed. Like he's, he's nervous. He's scared. And I, I love this depiction of him as an everyday normal father who has dreams, has aspirations, but yet he has to hold down a regular man's job too, because he has to support his family because that has to come first. And he's taken all these loans out and he's done all this stuff and it's not working out. And the relationship here and the support from her, again, is just so strong and it's so meaningful to me. And then even in this hardest of times, you know, it's his daughter's birthday. And we get this, this quick little segment that almost makes us think that he's forgotten about her. And then he opens up this, this case and he has created this, this mobile of sorts mm -hmm. that puts these amazing pictures of stars or, or whatever it is. They're just symbols um, and projects them onto stars. <laughs> See, I didn't even make that reference. Think, thankfully it was not city of stars. Uh, Moving on. <laughs> so, he, you know, and she puts up, 
the, the sheets to have it projected onto and they just sit there. And so for me, that scene established him as a good father and a good husband. And so later in the film, when he strays from that, and part of what I love is that he doesn't ever really stray from that, but like he, he does definitely emotionally let himself focus on him, his career and on another woman. I think that it, it, I was able, it, we'd already established that he hit what his true character and heart were. And so when he did this, it was tragic to me instead of, oh, look, just another punk guy. Like just another guy who can't, can't be what he's supposed to be to his family, who, who chooses himself. We, I felt very strongly that he knew he was making poor decisions. And so it hurt me more for him and for his family. And it made it all the stronger when he ultimately does come back and she is still there and still rooting for him and still willing to be part of that journey. So everything about that family dynamic kind of stemmed from that opening scene right there on the rooftop and him giving her that gift. And then I also just love the ending and how he's rooting for her in the ballet when she's the tree. And she's quit ballet. And there's there's this whole conversation about whether or not they should allow her to quit. And yet she continues on. And you just see them cheering her on. And of course, the audience, as a viewer, were thinking, oh, she's she's kept on with ballet. That's great. That's amazing. And then you see her in the background as a tree. Mm-hmm. And they're they're just proud parents. And it just I just loved I love seeing that on screen um as a dad and and stuff. I I thought that was wonderful. So that for me is kind of how my connecting point shook out. Patrick, what about you? Well, you made me edit. I had three, and rightly so, because whatever. But I'm just going to mention my two my two runners up. The first ties into what you were talking about, um, John. The, the 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 montage of of Phineas and Charity growing up. There's this moment. These are all. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. All three of these moments, I cried. Like I teared up at these moments, and this is a rare thing for me to tear up. And so. To me, I was like, oh, that's this is the point. this is the feeling film podcast patch. This is the safe space. You can, <laughs> thank uh, you. No judgments here. He My name's us. Patch, and I'm a feeler. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But the first one was was Phineas as a boy, and he is stealing the bread, and he gets run down by the by the bread maker and thrown into the corner, and the bread's taken away, and then he's handed the apple by that the deformed person who kind of resembles the the witch from from Snow White or Cinderella, but whatever. But it's foreshadowed a lot of what we knew was kind of going to be coming. And that was like, Oh gosh, that's amazing. And the music was just swelling up. The second was during the, this is me. Anne looks up at Philip when he's looking down at her and Mm -hmm. you can see this anger and this determination in her face. And she's like, you're not going to define me. Your society is not going to, it's just, everything is, uh, there's so much being spoken without even being said. It's just through this, this choreography and this, this, this facial expression, which I thought was fantastic. But the one moment for me that really stood out, and I think it's why uh, from now on is my favorite song in this film. We, we get the whole setup and the song builds 
And there's this really fantastic moment where everything's acapella and it's all just this drums. And it, if you notice, if you go back and see it, the the world's tallest man is standing up on the bar and he's banging. He's he's got his beat. He's beating the mm-hmm. ceiling, which I thought was fantastic. And P.T. Barnum, uh, Jack Mascherico, just goes, "Yes!" Like he's just enthralled. He's like, "Yeah, I'm 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 not going to be swayed by this anymore." And the camera zooms into him, and then it he, it shows him looking at his family's picture on the wall, and then he takes off. And he's running and he's like, I'm not going to be blinded by the, by the light. And you can even hear this baritone singer getting up in this range that I didn't think Hugh Jackman had before I saw uh, Les Mis. And again, this is where musicals shine. When you get that range of vocals, you get emotion behind it. So you Mm -hmm. couple that with him running and grabbing the train and eventually leading him back to uh, to charity, I thought was just amazing. To me, I think that was the moment that I, I guess ties into both what, what you guys are talking about. A guy who may have gotten lost, but he kind of became the prodigal husband and the prodigal father who realized, man, what I have is right in front of me. And I think it's fantastic that at the very end, we get those same lyrics from this high energy song of, uh, the greatest show. It's everything you ever want. It's everything you'll ever need. It's right in front of you. And he's looking at his daughters on stage, sitting next to his wife. And I'm like, oh, perfect ending. Yes, credits roll. Let's watch it again. Just gut punch right at the end. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So good. So great, man. Well, I, I for one, am just really, really happy uh, because when my best friend has a movie that is his most, a, a, you know, this happened to both of us this year, which is unheard of. It's incredible. Uh, Patrick, your most anticipated film was The Greatest Showman, and it rocked you, and you loved it. Mine was Blade Runner 2049, and the same thing happened. Um, so uh, 2018 has a, a big job ahead of it if it's going to match these kind of feelings that we got from our two, two Bring most it. anticipated. Bring it 2018. But hopefully – they they will do that. So, John, it's been awesome having you on. Um, we'll have to have you back again, of course. But it is is great, man. I, I love what you bring to the table, um, and the mic, and it's Thank just you. it's just so fun getting to hear some of your stories and your um, unique perspectives. So, where can people find more of your unique perspectives? I I will say I am in awe personally that you just recently dropped an episode where you did it all by yourself. Now, as someone who has kind of dabbled with that a little bit in our existence, I did some mm-hmm. things called feeling it's, they were like 10 to 15 minute long episodes. What you did is like Smithsonian, put it in the Smithsonian, man. It is like, <laughs> it's amazing. So where can people find that and more of your work? Oh, well, well, thank you uh, so much. That was uh, my third one that I have done by myself. Uh, and every time I do it, it is super weird. Uh, and super just not uncomfortable. It just, I like talking to people. Shocking. I know that is going to come as a big surprise to people. So in my studio, when I am recording, there's always at least one other person. So recording by myself is always kind of weird. Um, I did an episode where I covered the TV show Nightfall for History Channel. Uh, they were, a, they were a client. And so, you know, I did that by myself. So it, it is weird. So thank you for that because every time I record by myself, 
I never really feel like I get into a rhythm because there's not somebody that I can bounce off of. Uh, but yeah, so you can find me uh, at about to review on everything. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, youtube.com slash about to review is where I put up my about to interview uh, segments that I do with actors and directors uh, and just other creators. Uh, my website is about review.com. It is all synergistic, you know, in, in corporate terms, brand synergy. So if you search for about to review just on Google, I mean, I'm, I'm the number one hit. So you can find me anywhere. Uh, some upcoming stuff of mine. Uh, I'm headed to Vancouver, uh, BC to cover the Vancouver Short Film Festival for the second year in a row. Uh, Vancouver is one of my favorite cities. Uh, they treat me really well. I love going up there. I cover a couple events up there every year. Uh, so that is coming up in January. Uh, recently, I interviewed Peter Tensio, who directed Jean-Claude Van Johnson, uh, who and Felicia Rashad is in that. I interviewed her, which was super weird because this is a woman who I grew up with as like a TV mom. And then I was on the phone with her and she sounds exactly like she did in 1989 that's awesome so that was really cool so yeah you can find those at youtube.com slash about to review so i love engaging with people uh i'm part of the feeling film facebook group so you can find me in there under john reviewer so yeah definitely just hit me up i I love meeting new people talking to new people about films and just what people are passionate about so yeah thank you for having me on i i love what you guys do the whole idea behind your podcast of just what you feel and without kind of like I talked about in the beginning of the episode, taking off that critic hat, even if it is just a little bit and truly getting down to what did the movie make you feel? Because that at the end is what is most important, not the five stars, not the A plus, not a rating system that I made up for my podcast that only has three choices. Uh, <laughs> it is about what it made you feel. So I love what you guys do. So thank you just for having me on. You're welcome, man. And we appreciate that very much. Um, it makes me feel good. I'm sure it makes Patrick feel good as well. Indeed. Well, listeners, for us, we have a lot coming up. Um, I'm going to tell you real quick, if you'd like to talk to me further, you can find me all over social media at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. I'm also tweeting out of the Feelin' Film Twitter account. Um, but for us, there is so much happening at the first of the year in 2018. If you haven't done so already, make sure you download our 2017 year in review episode came out a few days before this one. That's where we get to really dive into the whole year. We don't do a typical top 10 top to bottom list. We'll post those in written form on our website. But in this one, we really get to talk about our favorite performances, our favorite films that we saw for the first time that were not in that year. Um, Our favorite or we have a we have a category for our biggest disappointment and our our most exceeded expectations. So we really kind of run the gamut of some of our favorite things from that year. So check that one out. Coming in 2018, in January alone, it's Kubrick month. That means we're going to be doing four straight movies with Stanley Kubrick. We're awesome. going to do 2001: A Space Odyssey. Yes. We're going to do Doctor Strangelove. We're going to do Full Metal Jacket, and we're going to do The Shining. Those are the four. We're really excited about that. We started it last year by doing Christopher Nolan month. And I think this is something we're just going to continue with every January from here on out. Also in January, we're going to be launching a new kind of episode every month 
project called Connecting with Classics. And this is going to be myself and Don Shanahan of Every Movie Has a Lesson. We're going to take one of the classics from the AFI Top 100 list, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to have a little bit of a unique format for that one, under an hour-long episodes. We're going to try and pair it as much as we can sometimes with something current that makes sense, if that if it, if it exists. We're not going to force it. But for this one in January, Patrick and I will also be doing a mini-sode on Steven Spielberg's recent movie, The Post, to pair with our first episode of Connecting with Classics on All the President's Men, which uh, literally connect. Yeah. Okay, like, no kidding, scene for scene, connect. So we're really excited about that. Lastly, also coming at some point in January, will be the listener nomination phase will begin for the 2018 Feeler's Choice Awards. These are our own version of the Oscars that are listener-nominated, listener-voted on, and we will release the winners and announce them corresponding with the actual Oscar announcements in real time. This was a lot of fun last year, seeing where our listeners lined up and where our listeners were way in opposition (laughs) to what the Academy uh, decided. So the only way to do that is to be part of the Facebook group. We have a Facebook discussion group. We try to limit it to that because if you post this on Twitter, this link, (laughs) it really can go anywhere. And we want to make sure that it's our listeners whose input we're using for this project. So if you want, if you have a Facebook, please come join the Facebook discussion group. There's a link in the show notes. There's links on the website, uh, which recently was redesigned. Yay, Patrick. Thank you. It looks amazing. Uh, and, you know, you can just type in Feel and Film discussion group and find it that way, too. All right. That was a lot for me. Patrick, where can people find you? Well, you've pretty much taken care of all the business. I'll just kind of finish off with my own uh, social plugs. You can find me at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. And you didn't even say the gram. Well, I figured with John here, you might do your old school, the gram. No, John, John anything? Pl- you'll, promote both <laughs> you'll, you'll promote the gram for both of us. <laughs> John, anything left from you before we hang up? Uh, Yes, something that I forgot to mention, and I got reminded of it when you started talking about Facebook. So this episode is dropping Friday? No, uh, Sunday? This episode will be out on December the 31st. December 31st. 2017. So there's a contest going on right now on the Facebook page for About to Review. Uh, DK Books or DK Publishing is a company that I work a lot with. Uh, I review their books. Marvel and DC books. I interview authors. So right now you can enter the contest to win a copy of Justice League, the ultimate guide, which is one of their new encyclopedia style books, all about the Justice League from the beginning all the way up to the current storylines. Yeah, it was, it is a fantastic book. It was written by Landry Q Walker, who was on my show a couple weeks ago, which you can find on youtube.com slash about review. But yeah, so on Facebook, uh, on About to Review on Facebook, just find the contest. It is the pinned post at the top. You can enter for free. Just like the post, leave a comment, and you are entered into the drawing for a copy of the book. So, yeah, just wanted to throw that out there because I forgot to do it before. <laughs> Good deal. It looks amazing, and I don't know whether to say people should go there and do that or not because I'm in the contest, and more people <laughs> meet, my odds go down. But uh, no, really, folks, it is it's awesome. It looks great. And I said, I'm in the contest. Like, I would love to win this or have my kids, you know, be able to read this book. So it's well worth getting in there uh, to John's page to get on the list. Guys, thank you again. 
Um, we appreciate it. Listeners, thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this. Until next time, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.